Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Good morning. Man, he makes me sound good, don't he? Somebody needs to play the video one more time. Uh, I want to welcome everyone to FBC Delray this morning. Again, my name is Pastor Jimmy. Uh, I've been a pastor for the past, since 2018. I can assure you this was not the original calling that I had for my life. I can assure you that, but it's God's plan for me. So I'm happy to be here this morning. I'm thankful to my colleagues that came out from work, and I'm thankful to everyone that showed up this morning to worship God. Um, The title of this sermon today is Hope for What God is Doing. Hope for What God is Doing. See, my original plan, when I first got called to preach, I was in a small little town in Alabama, and I said, man, now that I'm saved, I know I'm fixing to convert everybody. I'm fixing to go tell everybody about Jesus, and they're about to come, and they're going to know, and we're going to just have this big revival. When that didn't happen, I wondered what God was doing. I said, God, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying. I'm trying to be faithful. I'm trying to do the things that you called, and I wonder if some of you in that phase of life right now where you're facing opposition, and you're wondering what's taking God so long to do the things that he's called you to do and what he said he would do. God, why are you taking so long? God, why am I facing this opposition? God, why am I suffering? So um, for those who are here and who, those who weren't, we've been in Acts. So we've been going line through line through the Bible. We're in Acts chapter 9. Uh, I'll kind of set the context before I get into the sermon this morning. But basically, Saul of Tarsus is this great Pharisee of Pharisees. And what I mean by that, he's a scholar of the Jewish faith. He knows everything there is to know. He's one of the best teachers. He is the best teacher of the Jewish religion at the time. We're, we're talking about the time 35 years after Jesus crucified. So 35 AD is what we're talking. So he is crucifying Christians. Saul of Tarsus is cru- crucifying all these Christians. He's killing them all. He just oversaw the stone and death of Stephen. And um, he is, he's on his road to, to Damascus where he is, his main primary goal is to kill Christians. He wants to kill them, persecute them, string them up by the feet, and throw them in front of the Pharisees so they, they can be judged. And as he's on this way, this great Jewish scholar who studied under the best mentors of the time has an encounter with Jesus. And if you, if you weren't here last week, I challenge you to watch that sermon from last week. This encounter with Jesus changed his life forever. He was blinded on the way to Damascus. He was blinded for three days by God. He, God literally said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He knocked him off of his horse, he blinded him, and he changed his life. So here we are, um, Saul of Tarsus, he's blind for three days, and he's in this situation where he, he doesn't eat, and he doesn't drink, and he's just confused. And Ananias, that's where we pick up in this text this morning, um, Ananias, God tells Ananias, um, a faithful disciple of Jesus, to go and to help Paul be able to see. Ananias is hesitant, obviously so. He says, hey man, why would I go? I know that dude's killing Christians, I'm not. I don't want to be a part of that, but he's faithful to fulfill the commission. God tells him, he says, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Those two things don't really go together, do they? Chosen to suffer. Chosen to suffer. What is suffering? Suffering happens when we do something wrong, right? Or, or, or why is he suffering? But the truth is, Paul suffered so much. For the gospel, from the very beginning, in all kinds of opposition, hardship. And I want to make three points, like any good Baptist pastor would do. I will make three points today. And before I elaborate on, I'm going to tell you what they are. Number one, Paul was chosen 
yet he was opposed. Paul was chosen, yet God spent many years to prepare him. God, Paul was chosen, yet he suffered. You see, my goal in preaching this this morning is to give you guys some hope. I want to give you hope for what God's doing in your life when you're facing opposition, when he's got you in a delay, when he's got you suffering, when you're going through things and you can't understand. I want to give you hope. See, hope's a very powerful thing. Very powerful thing. And I want you to get a hold to it. They did a study at Johns Hopkins University on these rats. And the goal of the study was to put these rats in the water and see how long they could swim without drowning. So they take the rat out and they threw him in there. And they found the rat could only swim for 10 minutes before he drowned. So then they, they reproduced this study. And what they did was they put the rat in. And after about three minutes, they took him out. And they put him back in. And they did that two times in the 10-minute interval. And it turns out, after they give him hope, they give him two times this hope of being pulled back out, the rat was able to swim for 100 hours. 100 hours. With no other factor but this elaboration of hope. And I really want to give you some hope this morning. My purpose is to give God's people hope today. So life doesn't drown you. To see that in opposition, to see that in delay, to see that in suffering, that God has a plan for you. So as I said, Paul, in the verse, first 16, 18 verses, he was on this road to Damascus. He's been blinded. Ananias has come, and now he's able to see once more. And that's where our text picks up this morning in verse 19. If you'll turn your attention to the screen, or if you have your Bibles, we're in Acts chapter 9, verses 19. It's a, Paul just got baptized, all right? Ananias has come. Ananias has put his hands on him. The scales have fallen off of his eyes like some type of scales, and he can see once more. He's not blind anymore. So the first thing he does, hey, I'm getting baptized. I done had an encounter with Jesus. He knocked me off my horse. Hey, I think I'm going to listen, so I'm going to get baptized. So this is where we are. In verse 19, it says, For some days Paul was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose? To bring them bound before the chief priests. So immediately he's baptized. The first thing he does is, Jesus is the Son of God. He's going out and he's telling everybody. And everybody's confused. They're saying, man, what's going on? This is this Saul of Tarsus, this great teacher, this great Pharisee. Didn't he come here to kill these Christians? And, and string them up and throw them in front of the Pharisees? What's going on? They're all so confused. Just like me. Turn to the next slide. <laughs> but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. They were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. So here he is. He's been converted. Paul has been converted, all right? He, he's no longer Solitarsus. He is now Paul. He can see. And the first thing he does is get baptized and start preaching to all the Jewish people. And he's going back and he's telling them, hey, I don't see anything in this Old Testament. We're talking about the Messiah. Here's the Messiah. As I read this Old Testament, all I see now is Jesus. Y'all are my boys. I grew up with y'all. We studied the, the, the law together. Look at this, guys. I'm the one that's going to convert you. I'm telling you, Jesus is the Messiah. And they're all confused. You can't win a debate with the man. 
He, he studied under the best mentorship of anybody in the time. He knew the Old Testament front to back better than the Pharisees did. And now he's coming to them and he's debating with them. And that they still ain't having it. Not only are they not having it, they want to kill him. They set guards up on both sides of the city so he can't even leave without being killed. And he hears of this and then his disciples are able to get him out of there. Which brings me to my first point that I want to make this morning. Paul was chosen... Yet he was opposed. People rejected his message. They questioned his motives and they tried to kill him ultimately. Folks, I dealt with this for a long time. Even in my own life. When I first started preaching the gospel, I'm telling you, I used to be the worst of the sinners. I was just like Paul. Everything you can do under the sun, I've done. I've done all those things. And when I first got converted, I went to preaching the gospel to my friends. I said, God's going to call me. I'm going to save these sinners. These are my friends. These are my boys. I done had an encounter with Jesus and I'm going to change their lives. It didn't happen. In fact, I lost a lot of friends. <laughs> but even such, some of them were saved. Some of them I still witness to today. But I'm just telling you right now, when you start to pre- preach this gospel message, you're going to be opposed. You're going to face opposition. I mean, this is probably one of the worst things for Paul because he's going back to the Jews who he loves. He cares deeply for these people. He grew up with them. He understands where they're coming from and he knows where they're wrong and he just knows God's going to use him to correct them when he goes to them and he wins these debates with them and they can't argue against him and he's proving them wrong and wrong and wrong and now they're trying to kill him. They can't see the reasonableness of his stance but it makes sense. It makes sense as he preached to them and they still rejected him. Even the church didn't have Paul's back. I mean, look at verse 26. It says, they were all afraid of him and they didn't even believe he was an apostle. So I want to ask you a question this morning and make this good application point to you. Are you going to keep preaching? Are you ready for this? Are you ready for the opposition that's going to come your way when you start taking a step for God, when you start preaching that truth? Are you ready to be criticized? To be belittled? To have your motives questioned? Are you ready for this opposition? And when it happens, will you keep preaching? Notice how in the next few verses, they're not up there, but I got them right here. Verse 27, it says, At Damascus, Paul preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. In the face of opposition, they were seeking to kill him, but Paul preached boldly. Boldly, boldly he preached. I mean, what if Paul didn't preach boldly? The truth is, we wouldn't be sitting here this morning, as Steve alluded to last week, Um, This Christian message, this gospel message, as it got pushed to the West, Paul was fundamental in that. We wouldn't be sitting here this morning had Paul not preached boldly. And I'm asking you this morning, who's counting on you to preach boldly today? As I sit here and I look at you all and the many needs of your lives, I think about all the things that God's doing. It's time that we have some people step up and who are willing to preach boldly. Who aren't going to bow down to the things of this world who understand the doctrine enough to defend it in the face of all the questions that's going to arise, the attacks that come. Who's willing to stand up and preach boldly today? My children, they look up to me. Your children, they look up to you. Your co-workers, your friends, they're counting on you to preach boldly, whether they understand it or not, whether they understand their condition or not, they're counting on you. And if it's not going to be you, then who's it going to be? The Christians. And if it's not going to be today, when are you going to start preaching boldly? Christ. I'm serious about this. This is serious this morning because people's lives are at stake. 
The gospel is one of those things. It's nothing to, to play about. It's eternity. It's life and death. And it's, it's, it's critical that you understand that because in a hundred years, what matters? Take a look around you. In a hundred years, and you can think about where you'll be. I'm telling you, the only thing that's going to matter is if you knew Jesus or not. And that's the truth. That's the truth. So it's worth being mocked. It's, it's, worth, it's worth anything that you have to go through. Because if there's one person saved, it was worth it. The angels will rejoice. If somebody's in heaven because something you did, something you said, pointed them to the right way. It's critical that you understand that this morning. We have a responsibility as Christians to keep preaching boldly in the face of opposition. And I've never seen it so dramatic as it is, so openly against Christ. I mean, I think we're good people, you know. <laughs> Why does the world hate us? Because they first hated Jesus. Look what they did to him. So you need to realize that you have a responsibility to preach boldly as Paul did in the face of all this opposition. And the second point I want to make is Paul was chosen that God took nearly two decades to prepare him. Something you, you don't immediately see when I read that text, but there's a lot of time that passes in between verses 23. It says, After many days have passed, he escaped from Damascus and went to Jerusalem. Verse 23, how many, how many is many days? It's three years. Uh, first, um, Galatians 1, 15-18, it says, Right after I was saved, I did not immediately consult with anyone. But again, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Peter. So three years passed for Peter, I mean for Paul, before he met Peter. What did he do during those three years? He spent time with Jesus. He probably, bought him, he probably brought Jews uh, one by one to know Christ. But then after that, 14 more years passed. He went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with him, Galatians 2.1. So I'm telling you, as you're in a season of life and you don't know what God's got for you right now, whether you just became a Christian and you're like, hey, I'm trying to get plugged in. What are you doing with me, God? I'm available. I'm trying to do what you call me to do. Why is this taking so long? I mean, there's 17 years between the time that Paul was called in, in chapter 9 to when his first missionary assignment was in chapter 13. 17 years passed. And it's in that little white space in that Bible that we skip over that there's so many lessons that are taught. Right now, if God's got you in a white space in your life and you're wondering, what's going on, God? I've been praying for things and I can't hear you right now, God. I need to hear from you, Lord. You can trust Him this morning. Maybe you're praying for somebody to change. You're praying for somebody to know Christ. Maybe you're looking for a job. Maybe you're looking for a spouse. Maybe something's going on. But in that white space, that singleness of your life and, and hopelessness, and, and, and it's like a prison sentence. I know it's hard, but it's in that white space that God teaches you character. He teaches you patience. He teaches you to rely on Him. And if you hadn't noticed, God ain't in too big a habit of getting in a hurry. God called Moses to lead him out of Egypt 40 years later. You know, He called him, He said, you're going to lead us out of Egypt. Then for 40 years, he had 10 sheep with his father-in-law. I'm sure he was there like, okay, what are you doing, God? I've been here for 37 years. I mean, really. That's 40 years there. David was anointed to be king, but it took him 15 years before God allowed that to take place. God told Joseph that he was going to, help, he was going to save Israel, and then he sent him off to slavery for 20 years. So you have Moses, 40 years. David, 15 years. Joseph, 20 years. Paul, 17 years. These great Christian leaders that God took time to prepare. And I'm sure in your life you can't understand what God's doing. Neither could Paul 
when he went back to preach to his fellow Jews and they wouldn't hear him. Not only would they not hear him, they wanted to kill him. And he didn't understand at the time when he had to get sneak, sneak out in the middle of the night in that basket. He didn't understand what God was doing. But later he would write this. He says, you asked me to boast about the most important event in my life. The greatest event in my life was when they took me at night and let me over the wall of Damascus in a basket. That was the greatest thing that ever happened to me after I became a Christian. That was the most meaningful experience I have ever had since that day when I met Christ. 2 Corinthians 11, 32-33. I'm sure when he went back to his fellow Jews and they rejected him. I'm sure when he was under the pressure of being killed and, and for his faith, he didn't understand what God was doing. He's like, hey man, you're the one knocked me off the horse. You're the one told me to do this and now they're trying to kill me. But later in life he realized what God was doing. So I'm just wondering what God's doing with you guys. And I know you can't see it when you're in that fire. I wish that I could tell you that it was different, but some of us are in some fire right now. we got some things in our life going on. Some of us are going through some stuff. I'm telling you right now, you could trust Jesus this morning. You could trust Him. Don't stop praying. Don't lose faith because God's got you in this season for a reason. His ways are not our ways. He says, don't lean on your own understanding. I know what I'm doing. If I told you what I was doing, it wouldn't make it, it wouldn't be no faith in that. But you can trust Him this morning. And finally, I'll bring you to my Third point, I got about 10 minutes left. I'm a good 30-minute preacher, don't worry, I got you guys. So finally, I come to my third point. Paul was chosen, yet he suffered. I wish I could tell you guys you're going to have your best life now. Man, it'd be much easier to preach that, wouldn't it? You're a winner, and you're a winner, and you give $10, $100 back. I can't do that. I'm here telling you the truth, though, this morning. Suffering is going to occur. I wish I could tell you that Paul's life was different. But if you have to choose one word to describe the first 17 years of Paul, it is suffering. God said he's a chosen instrument of mine. I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. And when you're suffering, I want you to understand something real quick. It doesn't mean that you're, you're wrong. It's in those moments that God's teaching you. You see, God had to... Paul, you couldn't use Paul before he was converted. Paul was better than you. His, he was a keeper of the law. He was going to tell you how great he was and how wrong you were. He couldn't use Saul. God couldn't use Saul, the man who thinks he's better than everybody, the best keeper of the law. But I tell you what, he could use Paul. Somebody who went through everything. Somebody who suffered persecution. Somebody who was at the bottom. Somebody like Paul who was getting, had to be snuck out in a basket by his own friends. You can use Paul. He could use Paul. See, up until his conversion, Paul has seen himself as a capable tool for God. He has seen himself as the best of the best, a keeper of the law, justified to preach better than everyone else. God wanted Paul to become a vessel of his power. Saul the mighty needed to become Paul the small. Literally, in Hebrew, that's what Paul means. It means small. I can listen to Paul. I can trust him because he's been in the fire. He knows what it's like to suffer for Christ. He knows what it's like to go through these things. He knows what it's like when it takes a long time for God to do what he's promised. I can listen to Paul. All through this sermon, I've said chosen. Every point was about chosen. But let me, let me end by reflecting a few minutes on what that word means. Because it's the key to grasping everything else in this sermon. The concept of being chosen by God is hard to understand. It brings about a bunch of difficult questions. But it's easy to look at Paul's life and see he was chosen, right? He was on the horse. He was going to kill the Christians. God really smacked him off the horse. Why are you persecuting me? It was easy to have that conversion. You know what I mean? It was easy that God chose him to be his, his instrument. He even told Ananias that. He's a chosen instrument of mine. 
And I know some of you guys' faith may haven't been that big of a conversion. It may not have been that dramatic, but the same things were at play in your life. Now, again, I realize that raises some, different, some difficult questions. Uh, did I not have free will? Why doesn't God choose everybody? And I'm not going to unpack all those things right here. Honestly, I'm probably not even smart enough to do that. But I do know this. That God doesn't owe mercy to anybody. And the sweetest doctrine in my life is knowing that God chose me this morning. That he sent his son to die for me. You say, well, what, what, Brother Jimmy, how do you know you're chosen? Because I believe in Jesus Christ this morning as my Lord and Savior. The Bible tells me there's no way that I could ever know that apart from the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12.3 and Philippians 2.13 John 1.13 also says, I was born. Ephesians 2.8 says, even my faith is a gift from God. That means I'm not here because there was any good in me this morning. I'm not no better than anybody in this room. I am Paul the Small, saved by a great Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm not here because there was good in me. And, and Jesus isn't walking around looking at people saying, oh, there's a little bit of good in that one. I think I can save that one. He's not doing that. There's only one classification of dead, and that's dead. And I was just like Paul when God came into my life and he pursued me, and that's why it's comforting to me. This is comforting this morning. If God's not counting on my goodness to get me there, if I didn't find God in a good moment, guess what? I'm not going to lose him in a bad moment. One thing I've learned over and over is my flesh is evil. And if God took his mercy off me, even for one second, I would turn right back to my life. But I have this blessed assurance that what he started in me, he will surely finish. Philippians 1.16. Now again, I don't have all the answers when it comes to that, about how he chooses people. But what I do know is this. The fact that he chose Paul shows me that he's completely in charge of the whole evangelization process. God is in charge, okay? He's not sitting up there wondering what's going to happen. He's not sitting up there saying, whoa, this every tongue, tribe, and nation thing. Maybe that was a bit premature. I didn't think about Vladimir Putin. I didn't think about this. Now what are we going to do as Christians? God's not sitting up there like that. God is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. I'm telling you, He has a plan for your life. I don't care what you're going through this morning, whether He's got you in a delay, whether you're suffering as you're facing opposition. God is using this for His means, for His will. This is one of the most profound statements I've ever heard in my life. It was given to me by my mentor pastor in Alabama, Brother Keith Rudy. He said, did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurred to God. They, they say, Jimmy, you talk too fast. I'm going to let that one sit. Did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurred to God? Why are you a witness at work? Why are you a witness at school? Why are we here this morning? How do we get here? I can assure you this, it isn't by accident. God knew we would be here this morning. He knew I'd be speaking to you this morning. God is here, folks, and he's got a plan for your life. He uses everyday means to bring it about, and it's beautiful. He's not worrying about what's going on. God is 100% in control. And I'm, sometimes that was all that Paul had to hold on to in them times when he was being persecuted and all the times where he got on the boat and the, and the ship didn't sail. And he was shipwrecked three and four times. When he, he, he took all the lashes too. They'd give you 40 lashes to the back, just like they did Jesus the Messiah. Five or six times, Paul took those lashes, 40 minus one, because the Jews didn't want to break the law. He was shipwrecked. He went through all these things in his life, but he could hold on to one thing. God had a plan for his life. He spent his best years in obscurity in prison. He never made any money. When he died, half the church thought he was great, and half the church thought he was crazy saying he was crazy. He was executed by Nero. Um, the scholars believe his, his body was eaten by wild dogs. That's some good preaching, man. I wish I had it. I mean, I'm telling you the truth this morning. 
But now, of course, we see. So Paul didn't see what was happening at the time. He didn't see that 2,000 years later somebody was going to be preaching about him in South Florida. He didn't know that he was going to write 14 books of the New Testament. He didn't know that all of his suffering was going to produce changes in life and he was going to go down as one of the best Christians that ever lived. See, Paul never knew that. From his perspective, he probably thought he was losing. We see now God was behind all of it, right? So from your perspective now, I'm just going to close very shortly, but from, from your perspective now, does it seem like you're losing? Are you trying to do what God's called you to do and you're just not wondering what God's going to do? You're like, what are you doing, man? How are you going to work it out? Don't you think that God would be faithful to you like he was to Paul? You are a chosen instrument if you are born again in Christ and God's purposes are all the eyes are unstoppable. The Bible tells us there's nothing that could ever separate us from the love of God. So when I'm opposed, I'll respond with boldness. Just like Paul, I'll keep preaching that truth because the world needs it. And he's calling on us to stand up and preach with boldness. When he delays taking many days to accomplish what he said he's going to accomplish, I'll respond with faith because I know that he's got my best interests in mind. When I suffer, I'm telling you it's going to come in this Christian life, folks. I'll respond with hope. Because the truth is, our hope isn't in this world. Our hope is in eternal salvation. This is just a little snippet of time before eternity. Our hope is not of this world, and it can't satisfy. So when I suffer, I'll respond like Paul. Second Corinthians puts it like this. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in our bodies. The death of Jesus, so the life of Jesus may be manifested also. You see, folks, we can't fail. Paul had this vision of Jesus seated at the right hand of God. I want to tell you something this morning. Your heavenly father, he's no longer a baby in a manger. He's no longer on a cross, bloodied and shameful. That tomb, he ain't in it no more. He's seated at the right hand of God. And as he focuses on this vision, I want you to bow your heads with me. Think of what your father looks like in heaven today in all his glory. Just think, they, they tell me, slow down. This is a ministry moment right here. I just want you to think about where you came from and where you're going. Who we're talking about this morning. There's not hope in our abilities. It's not in our strength. It's in our Lord Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of God. He has your life laid out. He promised all things were to the good of those who love him. This morning, if you're feeling persecuted, if you're in a delay and you feel like you've been forsaken, if, you're, if whatever's going on, if you feel hopeless, don't look within. Don't look at your friends, your past, or even your future. Look to Jesus this morning and hear Him say, You are chosen. I love you so much that I sent my son to die for you. Nobody who my father has given me will slip through my fingers. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.